0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blink and they're gone to find out who they are without us. All the more reason we come to West Virginia to introduce them to simple things, Like rolling hills, walks in the forest, warm campfires. And we hold on to that feeling for as long as we can. Find your version of heaven this fall at wvtourism.com. This is the Gator Nation Football
1: Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio.
0: An in the oh my. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs.
2: Welcome back to the Gator Nation football podcast. It's been a minute since Alan Williams and I have been with you, and we are looking forward to diving into some actual football content post the spring game. But Alan, before we get into that, let me set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about the atmosphere of the game. We're going to talk about what the purpose of the game was. This game was obviously different than some of the more recent spring games that we've had here at Florida. We'll talk about the offense and the defense, specifically uh, what formations were different. What did we notice that's been, you know, different than what
1: we've Let's th- say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mold along. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
2: Seen here recently. Do we like it or not like it? And then we'll also talk about a few other things. And then we're going to share a flag football story that a few of you are probably aware of, and a lot of you may not be. So we'll have some fun ending this show with that. But first, as always, if you like the content, drop us a like on Facebook. And if you really like the content, consider supporting us on Patreon. I want to thank a few of our patrons. Uh, These are the people that support us financially each month. Uh, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Cody St. Ange, Zach Sparks, Andrew Hammond, Lewis, Jay McWitter, uh, James Mayner, Jeff Tillman, Robin McElroy, Sam Hadley, Cameron McCaskill. There's plenty more, but we're going to start essentially each episode thanking some of you who support us on Patreon, we appreciate you. We'll give you a little a little drop. If you want to write us a little message, maybe we can share something a little more personal about your Gator story when we announce your name. But thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Alan and I really appreciate that. Alan Williams, good to be back with you. You are still in Russia, a question I get asked often. How are things over there and how are you?
3: I'm doing great. It's actually warming up here. It was 60 degrees here today which was glorious. Went to a park. It was incredible. Yeah, still alive here in Moscow. Got a little more time here left. But yeah, things are going great right now. It's good to be back on the line with you talking some Gator football. And let's go ahead and talk about the game itself and what it was like. So neither of us were able to be there. Obviously, I'm in Russia and you were at another event. I know you talked to a lot of people who were there. What did they say the vibe was like for them?
2: The vibe was, I think, best described as the best it's been in in recent memory. It was fun. I know from the player side, the former players really enjoyed it. They had a team barbecue in the practice facility at 11 a.m. Lots and lots of former players were able to join current players and share stories and connect the dots in the program. And that's something Dan Mullen has done a very, very good job of. uh, Better than Will Muschamp and certainly much better than what, what Jim McElwain did. As far as in the stadium itself, it was a spring game, but I think the fans felt that Dan Mullen and his staff were trying to make this fun and entertaining for them. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I heard from my friends who went to the game was that, hey, they were trying to make it entertaining for us. They wanted us to sit there and enjoy that. And I think a lot of the fans appreciated that as opposed to maybe more of the old school mentality where, hey, this is practice for us. We're going to do our stuff and you're going to kind of watch it. It was more of we're going to entertain you. We recognize this is in large part for kind of rebooting the program, and uh, you know, fifty three thousand people showing up to the spring game was rather incredible. Alan, across the country, spring football numbers are way down. If you happen to catch any of these games on ESPN, a lot of these prominent schools across the country are drawing fewer than ten thousand. So to have such a large crowd here uh, is is indicative, I think, of some of the work that Dan Mullen has done that has really. You know, been very beneficial, and I'll, I'll say, Alan, surprising to me. I think he's proved to be very personable, and that was something I know I said openly on this show multiple times. I wasn't sure how he was going to handle that kind of stuff, so I thought, all in all, the report from the fans was was solid, and I think it even came through on television that the atmosphere for a spring game was was very fun and entertaining.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because Mullen made a, a kind of a big point that to get people out there, kind of put his neck out there a little bit and was saying he wanted, you know, 50, 60,000 people. And I got close to it at least. I mean, they reported 53,000 and said that was a pretty accurate number. I think that's got to be encouraging for the athletic department that that many people are at least buying into what Mullen is selling at this point, that they're ready to be excited again, that there's a little hope around the program. I don't know if you can take much more out of it than that, but that people are at least willing to listen, they're willing to give it another look if they had maybe checked out during the either the must champ or the McIlwain era. So I think it's got to be encouraging for the coaching staff and the administration that that many people came. out. And of course, it was fun. You know, hopefully that kind of fun atmosphere, obviously uh, throwing some fake touchdowns there to Lawrence Wright and Travis McGriff um, That. You know, letting the players play around a little bit. Uh, I, I know for me, I, I was glad to see a little bit of the fun. I mean, that's what Mullen has is, is promised, is that we're going to make this fun again. And obviously, you've got to win if you're losing. <laughs> uh, it's not fun. But obviously, for Gator fans, it's not just about the winning. Uh, we've had some wins, but we've done it ugly, and it hasn't appeased Gator Nation. So I think Mullen understands that there's a little bit more at stake than just wins and losses. Obviously, the wins and losses is first and foremost. No one cares if you're having fun and losing. Uh, but I think he's got some of the big picture in mind. and I, that, I think that's the right attitude to take at this point.
2: Now, let's put this game into context, specifically the format of the game. You mentioned some, some sort of Things that maybe used to be bizarre and are now kind of common places across the country in spring games, throwing touchdown passes to guys who aren't on the field and counting them as points. South Carolina tried to throw one to Steve Spurrier that he dropped, I know, a week before. Uh, But in general, what were the coaches trying to accomplish with this kind of spring game? What were the primary goals, and do you think they accomplished them?
3: Well, it's interesting because if you compare this to what McIlwain had done, basically kind of split the ones and the twos. So you had the first team offense generally going against the second team defense and vice versa. And so you saw whoever was quarterbacking the first team offense against the second team defense was having a lot of success. And the other guy was getting basically killed. Um, They split the team down the middle for the most part um, on offense and defense and and created two real teams there. So I think they were trying to give the players a chance to compete. Now, obviously – um, it didn't last for that long. If most of the second half running clock, I mean, I think after the third quarter, it was all walk-ons essentially with a few scholarship guys in there. Uh, so it wasn't like they were really trying to get a sense, at least in my opinion, of like who's the best. It was more just a showcase of here's what we've been working on, fans come out and you enjoy it, and less of a evaluation piece it seemed. Like they want, of course, it's, it counts in their minds. Uh, they want to see how these guys perform, you know, in front of fans and out on the field. But it didn't seem like the coaches were looking at it as like this is a big piece of the puzzle about who's going to earn playing time. What did you think?
2: Yeah, this this was a hundred percent about branding. If you watched the game on television, which a lot of you did, uh, you would have noticed that Dan Mullen was was openly miked for most of the game. He was talking with field reporters, with the guys up in the booth, with just about anyone and everyone. And he was showing off a very personable, upbeat, up-tempo kind of energy. Uh, He was relaxed. He made sure the refs didn't call certain penalties. This was a branding showcase to try to let the, the world know and the recruits know, hey, at Florida, we're here. We're going to have fun. I'm a fun coach, and I understand when it's time to put on a show. And I think that that jives with the modern sporting culture. I mean, so much of modern sport is the highest level of competition mixed with the fact that, yeah, as fans, it is really entertaining to watch the purest expression of your sport. And it's also fun when the people you're watching are having fun playing that sport. And I think that Mullen understands that that the high schoolers have to see something like this. It's the nature of the modern recruiting game and that the Gator fans truly did need a spring game where points were scored and maybe stuff was silly. And I think Dan was smart enough, Alan, to recognize that if he let these quarterbacks and these teams go out there and play a real game that was fully competitive, it was very likely to have been a low-scoring game, which is what's happened in the past. And then you get these weird articles that are written about, oh, no, it's the same stuff. So I think he was really smart to say, you know what, I'm going to rig this game this is going to be like the WWE and we're gonna make sure that it's entertaining that, that people score points and that when when the media looks at this from afar, oh look at that. There were lots of points scored. No look, it was a goofy game. I think he was wise to to boost the branding that way. And and I think as a as a sort of end commentary on spring games from me, Spring games are not going to give you a whole lot of real evaluation. In fact, practicing against your own team rarely gives you any real good evaluation. And I think Dan Mullen understands that. And I, for one, really appreciate that. Because way too much can be made out of what comes out of a spring game. Uh, when in all reality, it's more or less meaningless. It, sh- it should be what it was. Let the guys who worked really hard play in front of fans connect with the stadium, connect with the past players, let it be a family atmosphere. It's really like a sort of a celebration of the end of the hard work you put in the spring. I enjoyed what he
3: attempted to do with the game. You know what? My one uh, big negative moving forward here is that they moved the game back to Saturday afternoon. Maybe that's better for families and people coming to town, but I thought maybe my favorite thing about the McElwain era was they moved that game to Friday night. Because when you're in Gainesville in, you know, mid-April, it can be a little toasty, and I've definitely sweated my way through several spring games. So on that front, sad to see it. I'm back on Saturday afternoon, but it's probably better for the overall flow of the weekend. But you're right; it's not. It's not really about a competition. You know, I don't think um, because it's not a real game. The defense knows what the offense is doing, and vice versa. So it's hard to get a, a real like observational analysis. And this game is really kind of goofy. So for people like us who are trying to gain a little bit of insight into what was going on, it's not the best window for that. But I think we can glean a few things, you know, get some impressions, at least at this checkpoint, right? Maybe status update about where we are as a program moving forward. How is it looking with installing a new offense and new defense? What's our impression of some of these players? So, Let me just ask big picture first here, James. Do you feel more optimistic or pessimistic coming out of watching this game?
2: I feel more optimistic, and it has nothing to do with the football plays on the field. It has everything to do with Dan Mullen himself. In December, I said on this very podcast that Dan Mullen is going to have to prove to me that he can recruit, which he's on the way to doing that. That's not done yet. He's going to to sign a top five class. He's going to to sign you know, a bunch of top 100 players to get into that category. But I also said he's going to have to prove that he has a personality. The knock on Dan Mullen when he was here was that he was sort of boring and not really a guy that could recruit anybody and just sort of a guy. And then at Mississippi State, the fan base loved him. Uh, but as Gators, we were really unsure whether that was just because they had success or because he truly was a a great guy. But I think he's proven in a short time here that he loves being the head coach of Florida. The guy is beaming every time you see him. Uh, and what's been fun is thanks to this flag football adventure, which we're going to tell you about later. I've had a chance to meet him. I've had a chance to be at practice. Uh, and, and he's really a very friendly, upbeat, up-tempo guy who loves the Gators. And, and I think I feel more optimistic because that was something that we needed And I think he can be a very good ambassador for the brand when it comes to that kind of attitude. And that, for me, checks a box that I was unsure what it was going to be like. I think as far as the the on-the-field stuff goes, there were some things we're going to break down in the offensive defense that help us learn something about the team. But nothing new came out of that that would make me feel more optimistic or pessimistic out of this spring game that changed my opinion. So for me, that's my biggest takeaway. How about
3: yours? I'm going to go a little contrarian to maybe my normal viewpoint. I felt slightly, I i don't know if pessimistic is the right word. This wasn't a good status update for me um, for, on the program. Um, and it's mostly concerned with the offense. And we're going to talk a little bit about positive negatives. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't see quite enough improvement and maybe it's that's an unrealistic exponent expectation that there'd be any kind of real visible improvement they're just installing a new offense it's brand new plays terminology concepts for everybody i don't know the feeling i got was i don't know that we're all that much different now fast forward late august could be way different so if we're just going on feelings which aren't worth that much in impressions. I don't know that it was a great positive impression, mostly because, and this is going to come down to quarterback play, which we're going to get to in a minute. And at this point, maybe we just still have a lot of the same problems. Now, I'm very open to that, my mind being changed come the fall. Uh, but I don't know. It's, it's not like, oh, man, I watched a spring game, and now I'm going to the summer depressed about the team. Uh, I guess I was hoping for more of a push forward, and the coaching staff hasn't just hasn't gotten there yet. I'll say that. Um, so that's that's kind of how I'm feeling. All I think we can talk about how much can we learn about the team? Not much, okay. Uh, again, everything we're going to talk about put into the context of a spring game. That it's not about necessarily precision and execution on all levels and firing on all cylinders, uh, but we watched it. Everybody saw it. I know you guys want to hear our thoughts on it. James, let's jump into the offense. What were some positives for you watching those guys compete?
2: I thought the two big positives for me were that the route combinations made sense. I harped on this all during McIlwain's tenure, that we ran these nonsensical route combinations. Uh, and In the spring game, what you saw on display were multiple route combos that beat multiple coverages. So you might've had a trips formation to the left and trips is when you have three receivers to the left and you might've had a route combination that beat both a cover one and a cover two defense, which gives the quarterback an ability before the snap to make a read and then know which one is going to be open post the snap and have a route that beats either one, which is, which is good. That's good play design. I thought the usage of the tight ends furthering the route combinations was fantastic. Multiple times we had, what's called 12 personnel, where you had one running back and two tight ends, and you had both of those tight ends coming out of the backfield, similar to what Jimbo Fisher does at Florida State. Uh, you know, It's very difficult to stop that in the college game. You saw Emory Jones connect on a pass to a, a, a redshirt senior walk-on uh, tight end converted from linebacker right over the middle on one of those kind of play designs. But I thought the routes looked good. And that is a, a preview into the fact that Dan Mullen really does understand offense. I think all of you know the issue I have with Dan Mullen's offense is the the underlying strategy of it is to is to gain three to four yards each play and stay on schedule. But the plays make sense, uh, the passing design makes sense, and that for me was was nice. And so that that's number one. Uh, the second big positive I took out of this, I think our running backs are as good as advertised. Uh, I think you saw that out of Jordan Scarlett. It was great to have him back in the game. I think you're seeing a lot of stuff out of the younger guys, uh, Clement, uh, and you're going to see, you know, obviously, of course, Malik Davis coming back. I think those guys are going to be incredibly, incredibly good. And so for me, two big positives came out of the game on offense would be the route running uh, as well as the actual routes themselves and then the running back game, which is good. And then lastly, let me add a bonus in here, Alan, on TV, you could hear Dan Mullen multiple times talk about the quarterbacks and I'm not going to spoil our impression of each quarterback, but you talk about the quarterbacks after a play and he would actually say something that made sense. So, Hey, the ball went here, but it should have gone there. We've got to keep working with them. We've got to keep working with them. And that's in the moment. That's in the moment. And that's a guy that understands how the play is designed. He himself is watching the ball, watching the field, seeing what the defense is running against his play and understanding that, hey, the ball should have gone there instead. And that indicates a mastery of offense, and we absolutely did not have that in the McIlwain era on display. So those things were some positives I took from it. Would you have?
3: Yeah, I would agree about the running backs. I mean, Scarlett looked like the real deal again, like he hadn't you know, missed a beat from his time away. And more than just his success running the ball, I think schematically it looked really interesting. That when we did run the ball, which wasn't often, you know, comparatively, I think that's going to be hopefully one of the strengths of the team. But no one wants to see you in a spring game, like grind it out yardage wise. Uh, But it looked like the running lanes were there. The design was creative and it looked nice. It developed well, even early on at this stage, look like that's the thing that the offensive line, the running backs already had a feel for about where to go and what to do. And, you know, Scarlett looked like, you know, like he could have run for 200 yards and not broken a sweat. So I agree that he looked excellent. So that's my first thing is just even schematically the run game looked more impressive. And I've, you know, seen some breakdown of Mullins like schematics in terms of how he gets running backs free and how they block certain concepts and, you know i think it's good stuff and it works and it's effective um we'll have to see you know how effective it is when he doesn't have maybe a elite running quarterback at times but uh, i think that's gonna be a real positive for this team moving forward at least i hope so um and the second thing i would i would mention is Kadarius tony he's a guy that showed up at the spring game last year and people were excited about him we saw that translate a little bit uh into the fall um I think he has a chance to be really special for this team. I don't know if he'll get there this year, but he's just scratching the surface and, you know, he looked like he was better running his routes and, you know, we can do more with him than just throw him a bubble screen. Uh, Kyle Trask had a really nice throw to him at one point. He's the guy that looked excellent to me. And then also just on a note, I mean, I think it would be enormous for this team if both Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes got, eligible i don't know what the odds are for either one of them feels maybe slightly hopeful for both of them but if those guys are eligible that would be huge for this team i think they're on that top level of kind of athletic talent that you want to see in a florida receiver so that would be big for this program um i again i don't want to get excited about those guys and then have them not eligible but that would be big for the team but Hopefully, Gaderius Tony will be available and we'll see him a lot in the fall. All right, let's talk about each QB. And really, I don't want to get into a grade or, you know, really looking at every throw and breaking it down. But let's talk about our impressions of each quarterback and just how we felt about them watching them play and in this offense. Let's start with, I guess, the incumbent, if we'll call him that, Felipe Franks. James, what was your impression of him?
2: He, he looks exactly the same. Uh, He's still, in my opinion, so far away from being a quarterback. And and it's hard to imagine a guy who's now been coached for enough years at the collegiate level to where in the spring game, he did not make a single correct read. Not a single time. He throws deep into triple coverage when there's a guy wide open on a 12-yard dig route. He routinely reads the wrong side of the field pre-snap. I thought he was horrible. I thought he was absolutely horrible. You know, he has two running touchdowns, one of which is fake. He gets touchdown after running eight yards and then touchdown again much later, and the refs don't call it because they want to score. Uh, Felipe Franks is bad. He's bad. At, he's a bad quarterback, and he has so far to go. Now, Dan Mullen can, can work with him. Dan Mullen's the quarterback whisperer, and Felipe Franks is going to need a lot of whispering, and I mean a ton of whispering. And these spring practices have done really very little – Uh, for him to make the reads. Now I understand it's a different system, which it is. And he could, you know, he could turn a corner. It could, could come by fall that he's, he's making better reads. But the number one thing for me in a quarterback is to, is to make a good read and and be the point guard, be the distributor. And you heard Dan Mullen actually talk about that on the television broadcast, which was great. And I just thought the Franks was woefully inadequate at that yet again, almost all of his yardage was a, was a bomb pass to, um, to Travis McGriff that wasn't even supposed to be thrown by him. It was supposed to be thrown by Doug Johnson. And even Felipe Franks didn't make the right read on that one. Right. But I'm being overly (laughs) pessimistic about Felipe Franks. But at this point in time from a football coach, I think I have to look in the mirror and say, I've got a serious problem with this guy. Uh, He overthrows Jefferson on a gadget play where Jefferson's on the sideline comes on, becomes eligible and he throws the ball out of bounds. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to explain really uh, how, how poor this guy is at, at making a read. And I, I'm being excessively harsh on him right now, but he has a long way to go. And for the Gator fans, maybe are thinking, oh, hey, Felipe Franks is close or he's going to get there. You know, I, he's far, 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 far away. And I think what Dan Mullen said at the end of the game was best when asked between him and Trask, and we'll get into Trask in a second, who's going to win that job. I thought it was a very insightful answer. Who is going to do the most work between now and August? keeping in mind that he cannot practice with any of these guys during that time. And I think that shows you that basically what Dan Mullen is saying, who can get into the right reads in my offense? Because come August, somebody is going to be very far ahead in that category. And that is one thing about Dan Mullen I do like. And I think that he understands quarterbacks is that he understands that that guy has got to be getting the ball to the proper receiver at the proper time. And Felipe Franks has been entirely and wholly incapable of doing that his entire career, and in the spring game, he showed nothing that would change my opinion about that. Uh, what were your thoughts on Frank's?
3: Yeah, pretty much the same. He didn't look like he had progressed at all as a quarterback. Now you see those moments where he ends up rolling out, hits Jefferson on the move, makes a really nice throw. You know, it's got a lot of arm talent like he understands what's happening out there any more than he did like you said it's a new system now the positive of him is just might be athletic enough even at kind of a lanky 6-6 to be as Dan Mullen would say a credible threat running the ball um, not that he's going to run a ton but if you just ignore him he's going to keep it and, and do something And he's quick enough and, except, and his top-end speed is like pretty nice for a quarterback, even though you're right, he got touched down at least twice on that run. Um, who cares? But I don't know. There, There's obviously the stuff there. There's a reason this guy's a four-star recruit. Uh, it doesn't mean that's why you need to play him. But I wonder if Dan Mullen looks at him and says, if I can get this guy to get it, he's got such a big ceiling, I could see what I could do with him. But as you said, Dan Mullen can't work with him every day. So we'll see what Felipe Franks does in the offseason. He's got every chance in the world to be the quarterback still. And I know that might frustrate Gator fans. But I think if he wins the job, that will mean that he's improved enough that Dan Mullen thinks he can get the job done. Uh, it won't be a desperation thing like maybe it was for McElroy when We just couldn't trot out Luke Del Rio again. All right, uh, let's talk about Kyle Trask, who's the big unknown. If you're not familiar with him. Uh, It's because he's never played ever in his life. No, he was a backup in uh, high school and he's been a backup here. He was injured last year. We saw him in the spring game. You know, there was a competition, but obviously he wasn't available to be on the field last year. What were your thoughts on him?
2: I thought he looked like the best quarterback out there on the day. He still made some mistakes, but there were several pre-snap reads he got into that were correct. A couple of them were on go routes when uh, we were blitzing. The defense was blitzing. They came down. They played press man on the edge. Press man means the corner is right in the face of the receiver, and he's trying to bump him off the line. Uh, he read that correctly three times in that game. And he hit one of them on a really nice back shoulder toss. And, and that's big. A lot of what you hear me talk about on this podcast is getting the proper pre-snap read. So much of good quarterbacking in college football is identifying the coverage and looking at the proper guy with your first read. I thought Trask did a very good job of that. I thought he made some nice intermediate throws. I thought he displayed good footwork in the pocket. He displayed a lot more confidence in scanning the field. Uh, And then again, he also made a few poor throws that I'm sure he wants to have back. But I think hands down, he was the best looking quarterback on the day. When I was at practice a couple of weeks ago, he was by far the best quarterback at practice. Uh, By far the best quarterback at practice. He's much more accurate than Felipe Franks. He's also a huge guy. I mean, this guy is as big as Tim Tebow was. When he was playing quarterback for the Gators, it's a big dude. So he's an intriguing guy. The lack of game wraps, I think, is what hurts him a little bit. Uh, but at this point in time, uh, you know my my impression of him was positive, not perfect. I'm not gonna, you know, sing from the heavens that oh my goodness, Trask is gonna be the next Heisman winner. But I think out of the spring game, he showed the most quarterbacking especially with those pre-snap reads and his ability to scan the field. There's two plays in particular where we went five wide and he actually scanned both sides of the field before throwing the ball also while climbing the pocket. So those are all good things you want to see. And I think those are things Dan Mullen I think looks at, which is is one thing I want to tie in with these quarterbacks. I do feel more relaxed about who Dan Mullen will pick because I, I do think that Dan will choose someone who does the quarterbacking things well over the guy that, you know, Jim McElwain may choose because he can run around or because he can do this. I think Mullen will choose the guy that gets in the right looks more often. And I thought Trask was was that guy in, in the uh, the spring game more so than anyone else. How about you?
3: Yeah, he looked better. I mean, I think even all we have of him is these spring game appearances and, you know, some media. Images. He's definitely got a live arm. We've always said that about him or you know everyone talks about him like that um good size really nice throws Seems to be a little more comfortable and that might be because in his high school they ran a spread offense and that's actually why he probably didn't play because uh he was behind a guy who was a dual threat you know really athletic guy which is you know really effective at the high school level you know he's got Plays where it's like, oh, man, I can't believe he threw the ball there. Um, or he looks like he's pressing and trying to do too much. You know, this is really his only opportunity to shine, I guess. So maybe I would I would feel a little anxious or jittery, too. I I don't know what it is about Trask. It's hard to envision him actually playing on, on Saturdays. Like, that maybe he would just crumple. um if you remember the Florida Tennessee game from a few years ago, Nathan Peterman threw like a million picks. He did in the NFL again last year. Just that, I don't know. Maybe it could be, I could be totally wrong about how he would respond on a real Saturday in the swamp. But uh, I guess I want to see him do it first. I'm sure everybody does. Uh, I think it would make me nervous if he was our quarterback, but it would all, uh, maybe I would be even more nervous if Felipe was back there. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I think trash can be the guy. Can he run the ball enough in this offense? And, you know, Dan Mullen says it's a square peg and you know, we're not going to do like a square peg in a round hole. We're going to fit it around the quarterback, but a lot of what he's traditionally done has required, as he says, a credible threat running the ball. I don't know that trash can do that. I don't know if he's capable of that. Um, Of course, you can fit an offense around him, but it would be limited, at least from Dan Mullen's perspective. But he definitely looked more impressive. I'll say that. Uh, He looked further along. He looked like he knew what he was doing a lot more. Uh, I I had a a stronger impression of his competence than Felipe's, of course. All right, let me get to the next guy. And this is a guy that both of us said we expect to be starting – by the fall and if he wasn't starting that means something bad went happened bad happened and the program is not moving forward in the rate that we want that's emory jones the very high profile recruit that mullen landed the last second four slash five star guy james how did he look to you
2: i actually thought he looked he looked the best he's looked maybe all spring if you hear the practice reports i was at, at practice like i mentioned he looked terrible at the practice i was at Uh, I had a conversation, which you'll like this, with with Dan Mullen after practice, and I actually had a conversation about what you just mentioned. You know, hey, Dan, essentially your quarterback has to really run the ball in the offense, right? Isn't that that what's important? And Dan always answers this question the same way, so I'm not about to reveal anything amazing. To what you said, no, 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 that's a common misconception. I just need a guy who's willing to run whenever the defense gives it to him. Of course, all of you listeners on this show will know that I don't buy that for a second, the data – uh, that he has displayed over you know a 13-year coaching career on offense is quite the opposite. He runs with extreme predictability more than he passes the ball, uh, which shows that I think that's not that's not true. And the quarterback runs the ball you know 10 to 15 times a game. So a little bit more than that. And therefore, that's why Alan and I made that comment about Emory Jones, is he is by far the most qualified guy to run the ball. And that's one of the reasons why I think he still will be a favorite to get the job, even though a lot of the media, not surprisingly, has quick to kind of been to forget about Emory Jones. He's a true freshman. It's an incredibly difficult transition to the college game. You would never expect a guy after 14 or 15 practices to all of a sudden light the world on fire. But I thought he showed a lot of progress. And I imagine that Dan Mullen and the staff are happy with him. He did get to go against a much much more inferior defense, which was obviously beneficial for him. But at the same point in time, I thought he displayed the arm strength he's known for Uh, He made some quick decisions, uh, but he's still he's still a true freshman with not a lot of football practice at this level. So you can't expect anything amazing yet. Uh, But if he does what he should do, which is dedicate himself to learning this offense come August, I expect him to be competitive uh, with the other quarterbacks because because his legs are by far the best suited to run this offense. And Dan Mullen, I believe, has proven time and time and time again that that is the kind of guy he wants to rely on. I don't love that, but I think that's the case. So I thought Emery had about as good of a spring game as he could have had, especially Allen, given the reports about what he had been doing in spring practice up until then.
3: So when you say that you saw him at practice and he looked bad, like specifically, what do you mean? Like look like he didn't understand the play call or he was wildly inaccurate What, what was it about his performance that you would label it bad?
2: I think his throws are, are fine uh, with regards to, you know, accuracy. I think at this point in time, he doesn't throw to windows and that's completely typical for a freshman. So if uh, a simple example, you've got a slot receiver, that's a receiver that's closer to your, your offensive line, let's say on the right side of the field. And that guy's going to run a corner route, right? So he's going to run 10 to 12 yards and then break off to the right at a 45 degree angle to the corner. Emery Jones wants to wait to see that guy break to the corner and he wants to throw a laser into his hands while he's running because he has a very strong arm. This is a common thing guys with strong arms do. The better option there is to recognize that there's grass at that corner spot. And once your guy makes his stem or essentially his move, his, his step to indicate he's about to break to the corner, you let that ball go and you let him go run underneath it. So essentially what am I saying? I'm saying that Emery Jones is going to have to learn to throw touch passes to space. This is something Tim Tebow was actually extremely good at, right? A lot of people like to make fun of Tim Tebow's lack of ability to throw a spiral or his wild in accuracy. But one of the things Tim was really, really good at, Alan, was throwing the ball into space. He's actually very good at it, especially in the college game and especially in this offense. And so I think Emery at practice is unable to do that. And if you're watching practice, that means he throws a lot of incompletions, he also locks on to receivers because he's waiting for them to come open. These are all classic freshman things that you have to work through. Uh, but in the high school game, he basically would lock onto a receiver. And if it wasn't there, he would run. And that's also very typical for a dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. So I think in practice, what you saw was that, which again, is what you expect to see. But I think that's led a lot of writers and a lot of the beat writers and a lot of the general media to be like, okay, Emory Jones is going to not be the guy. I don't think that's right. One of the benefits of Dan Mullen's offense is it's simple to get. And I would expect a tremendous amount of progress from Emery by the time fall camp ends. So uh, Alan, I think Emory made some of those steps. And I thought in the spring game, he did have open receivers early, which helped him. Uh, he did get a couple of balls batted down at the line of scrimmage though, which indicates he's staring at one guy, but all in all, all in all, I think from what I saw and what I saw in the game, I thought he had a good performance. I think there was a very real chance that Emory could have gone out there and had a, a three for 15 stat line uh, or something, you know, kind of wonky or weird like that. But for him, I think he did well. I think the coaches will be happy with what they saw. He threw some nice balls. Uh, he moved around well in the pocket. He could roll out left one time, and you know was able to do that nicely, which we talked about last time he rolls out left very well. So all in all, he has the right tools to run the offense. He's best suited for it. I think that he will make a push for that job, regardless of what you hear written about him between now and August. I do expect him to be in that mix. I do not expect this to be just a two-horse race between Trask and Franks.
3: That's interesting to hear. I, I wasn't expecting him to light the world on fire um, because of all those things you said, and you know, it's a—he's less than a true freshman. You know, he's like a negative freshman right now. And what his strength is is going to be pulling down the ball and running, and you have to scheme against that. And obviously, they don't care about watching him do that. They know he can do that, and they're working on him building up the skill set and the knowledge to execute the offense. And so. I think he'll always look better in a game than he would in practice anyway. And I'm hopeful that he will be able to move forward and, and move along. I, it's funny because he's smaller than I thought he would be, um, a little thinner, and hopefully he's going to be able to put on more weight and size mm-hmm. in the offseason as well. And now he shows it back in the fall. He'll be a little bit uh, even more filled out and have more, ability to take the kind of pounding he would take as a true freshman running the ball in the sec. So I would, I agree. I think the coaching staff is definitely not going to give up on him, especially with no one in front of him pulling away. Um, yeah. I, I think my thought about him coming in and certainly starting, maybe, maybe I would pull back from that a little bit. Not to say he won't, like you said, but I don't know if we saw enough at this point to go, yeah, he's very clearly going to overtake the other two guys. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. That doesn't mean he won't do it October or November either. Uh, But at this point, I would would hedge my bets on him being week one starter. All right, the other guy, Jake Allen. I'll jump in and do this one first. Uh, I guess if you were to ask my impression, I would say no impression. He's very clearly number four. And he was out there with the scrubs uh, and not that he looked good or bad, just no real thought on him at all. (laughs) That's what I would say. What about you?
2: Yeah. He didn't really have much of a shot, but I think Jake was the guy I kind of labeled as like, Hey, this guy could be a dark horse. He's smart. He could play. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you've heard us say a lot on the show. If I could go to practice, I would have different opinions, right? Well, since I got to go to practice practice is. I have a different opinion, (laughs) and after watching Jake Allen throw in practice, he he lacks the arm strength for this kind of offense. He lacks the everything for this kind of offense, and in practice, it's very, very clear that there's a massive step down uh, between the Tier 1 guys, you know, Emery, Kyle, and uh, Felipe, and then him, and so what he will do I don't know. He's a very smart guy. He may just decide, hey, football's not for me. He may also transfer. I don't really know. But this is not a fit for him. So it will be interesting to watch what Jake Allen does uh, and where he goes from here. But yeah, hard to make an impression off that game. But again, being at practice, it's very, very clear that he doesn't have the same tools as other guys do. And if you're going to invest in somebody and they're all going to be raw, which all of them are right now, you want to invest in the guy that has more tools, uh, especially if you have three of them to choose from. So I don't expect Jake Allen to be a factor in the quarterback race. I remove my dark horse label, having seen him at practice, not based upon the spring game, but having seen him practice a couple times, seen him throw the ball in person uh, on a practice field, running through up to other quarterbacks, you know, you kind of see what's going on there. So uh, great guy, smart guy, sharp guy. But I think that this quarterback battle will be
3: too much for him. Yeah. Which is disappointing because, you know, we like the idea of him because uh, we hadn't seen him, but, yeah, seems clear he's several steps behind, him. and maybe an indictment. And not that McElwain needs any more indictments because he's gone. That he put that much recruiting stock into Jake Allen, and you know took him, and maybe he's not a guy that can compete. Now everyone misses on recruits, but that was him, and uh, that's going to work out. We've talked some positives. Obviously, we talked about positive negatives negatives or, or just warning signs for you watching the offense.
2: It's just the quarterback play. You know, I thought the offensive line was you couldn't gauge the offensive line. When you draft the offensive line and you split them up, you're getting right. Sometimes you're getting ones with threes. And that's it's not fair to the offensive line. At times the offensive line looks looks great, right? And at times they're getting right in. So I'm going to withhold any sort of judgment on them. And outside of that, the spring game is a quarterback game. That's really why it exists, right? To showcase the quarterbacks. And I think that's the big negative is that it's very, very clear that we don't have a quarterback. Uh, I think we have some guys who can do a few things here and there. We do not have a quarterback. Uh, You know, This team is not ready to be good. It's not going to be very good next year. I think you've heard us say that next year is very much going to be a transition year uh it, you know if we win 8 or 9 games like i kind of alluded to in our, one of our previous podcasts it's going to be because our schedule is favorable not because we're going to be out there killing people uh, we are definitely still you know a bit away's from being a well organized solid football team and our quarterback spot is is a large reason as to why so i think that's the negative the negative is if you're a gator fan you have to look yourself in the mirror and say these guys aren't ready They're probably not going to be totally ready come September, which means we're going to have some quarterback frustrations again in the upcoming season. The silver lining is that I think we really do have a quarterback coach who will find a guy that will emerge to be competent. And that may be all we get in 2018, but I think Dan Mullen will alleviate some of the extreme frustrations I had, Alan, with the quarterback play under McElwain, I do expect that to at least get mitigated to a certain degree. But even then, there's only so much you can do with certain players. So our best bet is that one of these guys really gets it and is able to be the good trigger man that gets us in good looks and is able to run the offense at an adequate level. That's our best bet, I think, right now. Uh, And whether that's Emery or Kyle or Felipe is anyone's guess, but I do expect all three of them to be a factor. So biggest negative is quarterback play. Not a surprise, I think, to anybody listening to this podcast.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this is a different offense, very different offense than what McIlwain ran, but you didn't really see those kind of differences um, because McIlwain still would run some spread concepts, even some uh, zone read looking plays although probably weren't really zone replays but some you know shotgun handoffs and things like that Uh, and so you you didn't really get a chance to see like the variability of this offense and what it really wants to do when it gets up and running because it's going to feature the run game it's going to have some quarterback runs it's kind of uh you know look different play to play not only what it's trying to accomplish but i think how it executes that so hard to Take any real positive or negatives, but I would echo the quarterback play. That's going to be, again, the thing that determines, you know, for the millionth year in a row, uh, how this team looks moving forward. And, you know, I guess the biggest positive is we don't open the season with Michigan. So uh, maybe a chance to work out some kinks in that first game, because that will definitely be necessary.
2: All right. Let's talk about the defense defense in a spring game caveat right out of the gate here, Alan pretty hard to measure them spring games are not about defense in fact they generally if the coach is smart and I think I think Dan did a good job of this judging by player reactions tells the defense hey sometimes we're going to totally screw you over we're not going to call a quarterback down even though the rule has touched the quarterback we're going to let him keep playing we are going to allow certain penalties to get overlooked so points get scored we're going to bring guys off the sideline to score touchdowns on you uh, right. And so I think a good coach really lets the defense know, Hey, listen, this is not about you. We understand this could be frustrated for you. We know you're a solid unit. Just go with sort of the show. Our goal here is to make the brand better. I imagine that conversation happened, especially because the body language of the defenders is not frustration, which is good. So with that caveat, Alan, what were the positives you saw from our defense? You
3: know, generally it looked like they they were in place and lined up effectively. I I didn't pay, um, super attention to this obviously because of the nature of the spring game, but it looked like guys had a, had a general feel for it. There wasn't a lot of busted coverages or players running free or just like chaos out there, you know, and, and bringing a new defensive coordinator with a new system, um, that there's certainly a possibility for that. Uh, so that was good. I think the fact, you know, just it wasn't bad. Um, and looks like the guys guys who can make some plays. Uh, of course, you're always going to, your eyes are drawn to Henderson and Wilson, those guys out in the corner. I think they made some nice plays. They look stellar out there like you expect them to. Uh, so this, this is still a team that has a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I didn't always, wasn't always able to show it last year. But Overall, I felt like the fact that they were lined up well and didn't make a lot of mistakes, um, at least very glaring, obvious ones, was a good step forward for them. What about you?
2: Yeah, I thought the transition to the 3-4 was was pretty solid by them. What you just mentioned, what am I looking for? I'm looking for no missed assignments, good communication. You know, A couple times you saw the linebackers sort of let those halfback middle routes or those tight end middle routes, more importantly, kind of run right by them. They'll get that cleaned up. It's a different style system. It's different with what your responsibilities are. Uh, I thought Antonius Clayton, a guy who's kind of been gone, Allen right? Emerged and looked good. Yeah. I thought he looked explosive out of it. But really, it's just really hard to like take anything away from it. Other than I think what you said, the defense functioned. A lot of different guys seem to know what they were doing. I thought the safeties were moving around pretty nice. We did some, for a spring game, we actually mixed up our looks quite a bit. Multiple times we brought both safeties down on a blitz. Sometimes we'd bring the strong safety and roll the free safety. So we were doing more creative things on defense than what you would normally see in a regular spring game. We played some press man, we played some off coverage, we played some cover four, played some cover three, played some combo coverages. Uh, I thought that was kind of fun. And I think that displays the fact that Todd Grantham is having an effect on these guys because we want to be more of an NFL defense, which means we're going to have a lot more pre-snap to post-snap looks and I thought that was already on display and certainly that's a big positive if these guys are already able to even make those shifts with just 14 or 15 practices you'd expect by the time September comes around that that defense is able to help uh, use confusion if you will as a tactic to to mess with opposing teams so positive was just the overall handling of the new 3-4 formation and their ability to kind of get in and out calls I think any positives? Yeah. That, any positions that stood out though individually? I mentioned Antonius Clayton. Anybody that stood out to you individually that kind of popped out?
3: I you know, you mentioned the linebackers missing some of those pop routes from the tight end, and some of those were walk-ons, uh, who are missing some of those. But I thought the linebackers looked decent, and that's a position that we've harped on a lot. I think an infusion of talent and bodies there has made them uh, look a little more imposing my eyes were drawn to, you know, Ventrell Miller and a couple other guys who haven't been out there before. I'm like, you know, who's that guy? I don't recognize that name, you know, that body shape in that number. Uh, it gives me a little more hope at that position uh, that there's a, there's enough bodies there that we'll be able to make it work this year. Defensive line, you know, sometimes just went right through and you, who knows what was out there. You know, one of, I think Clayton Sachs was against like a walk on, you know, right tackle or whatever, but, uh, definitely have some explosiveness and some disruption along the defensive line. But I guess, you know, in the limited, limited views of that, like that the linebackers uh, looked okay, at least, you know, maybe not a catastrophe. So there you go. Yeah.
2: I think that's, I think that's accurate. It was hard for any anyone, like we said, position or individual person that stood out, but if I had to pick a winner of the, the scrimmage. I think the D line made its impact felt. I think realistically, they probably would have had eight or nine sacks in the scrimmage. A lot of them weren't, right. weren't credited to them. Some of them came late, but I thought they looked good. And I think that's been a theme in practice. I think the defensive line has been getting the better of the offensive line, which is also to totally be expected when you are transitioning an uh, offense and a defense at the same time, the defense should get it faster. It's much simpler. So that was, that was good. I thought, I thought that that stood out to me. Uh, any negatives that you saw?
3: Not really. Um, I think the secondary is going to be really strong at the corner. Again, I think safety is going to be where we see us win or lose on a lot of this passing game. You know, they've moved, you know, very publicly moved Chauncey to nickel, um, which is a a very highlighted position in this defense. And, you know, going to – Maybe take up some of the slack that Duke Dawson left behind. I think this is a good spot for uh, Chauncey in the, in the whole, you know, is he a corner, is he a safety debate? But I'm still a little worried about our safeties. You know, they move, like you said, They, uh, if you watch them, they're they they they're moving well. You know, I don't want to, like, analyze them too much. This isn't really a negative. I'm just kind of pontificating on the fact that I'm still nervous about our our safeties, I guess
2: yeah I don't have any probably ne- always will be. yeah, I don't have any negatives coming out of the spring game, but certainly, as we've alluded to before and we'll really get into come the fall, you know there are definitely concerns for the defense. So no negatives out of the spring game doesn't mean there are not concerns. there are concerns. Uh, we have tremendous depth concerns at really both linebacker and corner, even though we have a lot more healthy bodies of linebacker now that we've had in recent memory uh, and you know especially thin at corner. And so I think that. We have issues there. And then we have not had, in my opinion, Alan, we have not had solid safety play in in multiple years here at UF. So uh, that, that's been a position that's been harming us more than helping us. And so those are all things that are true. In the spring game, those really didn't show up. In fact, if you take away the two gadget plays, the defense, especially early on in the first half, was really winning the majority of that scrimmage. So it's hard to pick out too many negative things there. All right. Any, any other things, Alan, from the spring game or just from the spring in general, as a Gator fan that are worth mentioning in this space?
3: Not really. I I think that this is a time to be hopeful spring, you know, spring hope hope springs eternal is what I want to say, I guess. Um, Let me ask you this, James. Um, What is your feeling about the fan base in general? Because you're much more connected in right now being in Gainesville. You know, I can see people commenting on the internet or whatever, but do you think that the spring game turnout is a reflection of the optimism around the fan base? Do you feel like people are excited?
2: No. (laughs) Is that simple enough? I don't think people are excited. I think they're neutral. Uh, and I can't speak okay. for I can't speak for everyone. And if you have a different opinion. Speak for
3: Gator Nation, James. Please.
2: Yeah, if you have a different opinion, actually, send us, send us some stuff in a mailbag. You know, our next yeah. episode is going to be in May. And this is an interesting topic because I am actually really curious to see where everyone else is. My friends, a lot of the people that I talk to about Gator football here in Gainesville, it, it seems to be the same. The former players uh, who I've spent now way more time with than I thought I would have in the past month, um, they're kind of in the same spot. Everyone's kind of in a holding pattern. I think people feel good that Dan Mullen is here as far as like what we've talked about. He's stable. He knows how to run a program. He's doing all those things very well. He's a good ambassador. Uh, I think there's a lot of belief that he'll he'll get a good product on the field. Uh, I think all those things are true. But I, I think people are still sort of in the meh phase. And that's kind of the life of a Gator fan right now. And I think the spring game was partially, it's a new thing. Let's come out and see it. Coach is imploring us. You know, the weather was supposed to be pretty solid, which it was. Uh, I think it's more along that line. So, Hey, if it's not, man, if you're super stoked and you think this is the beginning of something great and I can't wait for next year and I'm like on cloud nine hit us up or if you're the opposite, hit us up. But I bet the reaction is somewhere in the middle of those two, Alan.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's, that's how we are feeling. And I, I didn't know if that was being ref- if we're just reflecting that onto Gator Nation as a whole. I'm sure there are people who are excited. Um, just to be out from under the cloud of the end of the McElwain era. And I, you know what, who knows? I tend to build some and start building some excitement in July and August. And I, I start to be a little more optimistic than I am maybe in April. So we'll see. We'll check back in with me and see how I'm feeling then. Um, but that would be my thought is like, what what's the temperature of the family race? And I think Yamon you know, is doing a good job of being an ambassador, like you said, um, which is what he should be doing at this time of year in, in the calendar. Uh, What about you? Any other stuff, any other thoughts, NFL draft for the Gators, any other things on your mind?
2: Not in that regard, but I do want to, I do want to take some time to thank some patrons. You know, it's been, maybe it's been the spring of Thanksgiving, but uh, once again, you know, there's some more people I want to thank. We're not going to get to all the patrons in today's episode. We're going to keep sprinkling them throughout future episodes. So your name will be called. And if your name isn't called, or if I mess up your last name, feel free to let me know so that we can get it right. But I want to thank a few more here before we we sort of end with our, our flag football story, which ties directly to the Gators. But uh, George Creedemeyer, thank you. Richie Caldhill, Thomas Upshaw, Jose Flores, Rob Lunsford, Warren Buckham, Kyle Moore, Bruno DeMello-Laguerre, Megan Gibson, Colin Curtis, Robert Davies, David Meadows, Will Kleinstein, Sarah Hannah Thomas, and Chris Paps. Thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate that. Like it means the world, Alan and I, and of course, if you want to be a patron, uh, you can head on to Patreon and those links are in Facebook. Uh, they're on Twitter. They're on our page on blog talk radio. Basically you can find it anywhere uh again we don't really implore anyone to donate this is more of thanking those who do Uh, alan and i will be fine if you don't but if you like the show and you want to support us of course you know it's cool it's cool for us to see that so with that alan let's talk about something that a few of you know maybe some of you don't know but it ties into to actually a question we got in our mailbag segment last year which was hey james how did you learn a lot about football theory it's a question i guess that'll ask a lot what did you do Uh, In high school, what did you do in college? Where did all this football theory come from? That answered the question in multiple ways, but said really the heaviest influence is actually my play of travel flag football, which is very similar to two seven-on-seven tackle uh, football that you play. Well, not tackle, but flag football that you play in high school. And then really similar to the 11-on-11 game that that we all know and love and talk about each week on the show. Concepts are exactly the same. So with that, as a lead-in, Alan, Um, and Alan has not got to know this story either. He's only seen it from afar, which also makes it kind of fun.
3: We've been teasing this all episode, James, tell me what the heck has been going on with you and the Gator football team and alumni and flag football. Tell us, please.
2: So a month ago, I get a phone call from Steve McLean, who's the director of football operations at UF. And it's during the March Madness basketball tournament. It's the opening Thursday. We're hanging out the house, watching all the games. And Steve says, hey, James, Danny Warfel wants to talk to you about flag football. Can I give him your cell phone number? I said, sure, not a problem. An hour later, Danny Warfel. Just the right. call that you get. Just, just a, casual just a call normal Thursday. Thursday afternoon call. And then uh, then I get you know, on that phone call. I get a, hey, James, it's Danny Warfel. I've heard you're the guy to talk to you about flag football. Can you give me a call back? So I call Danny. And that begins the process of daily phone calls between Danny and I talking about this flag football team that he wants to enter into the AFFL. Or the American Flag Football League, which is a brand new professional flag football league that's hosting a 128-team tournament across the country that's going on right now, ending in July with games that will be televised live on the NFL Network. I was coincidentally already on a team in the tournament, and so Danny and I's relationship sort of begun with me helping them and getting this team ready. And uh, from there, we held mini camps and tryouts here at UF and had practices and hung out with the real team. And, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of whirlwind experiences that were extremely fantastic, culminating with yesterday, our team actually playing in the tournament down in Sarasota, where we played our first and second round games. We won 30 to nothing and 40 to seven. And our roster is Amad Black, Brandon James, Major Wright, Moses Jenkins, Wandy Pierre-Louis, Danny Warfel, Chris Doring, Travis McGiff, and Frankie Hammond. And so a lot of those names, of course, as Gator fans, you'll recognize, some older, some younger. And uh, the interesting story I think about yesterday, Alan, was that uh, in the first 10 minutes of our first game, the games are 60 minutes long, Danny takes a little bit of a knock and has to go out of the game. And so I wind up running the main quarterback position for the rest of the day winning both of those first and second games, which obviously is a lot of fun. I mean, I went to school at Florida. I'm a, I'm a Gator, of course, but I did not play on the Gator football team. Uh, so that was that was quite the good time. So we will play in rounds three and four in the New York Jets facility in in East Rutherford, New Jersey, which is always confusing right now when it's not in New York. But we'll be playing there in New York on May 19th and May 20th will be our next stop. So this flag football journey has allowed me to do things like practice inside the practice facility Uh, You know, once a week or so, host a mini camp in the facility, get to know the football staff, the equipment staff at UF have been phenomenal in helping us out as we sort of go on this adventure uh, and doing this stuff. But what's really fun about it and for all of you listeners out there, what's really neat about it is it's further proof (laughs) that the concepts we talk about on the show, reading defenses, pre-snap coverage, post-snap coverage, they're really exactly the same. Uh, you know whether I'm teaching these NFL guys how the flag football defense is a little different the real defense or the offensive theory whatever the case may be it is exactly the same kind of game and uh, it's been very fun to get out there and quarterback in that game and kind of prove that concept out uh, but for you as listeners we thought you might get a kick out of the fact that, that yes somehow the very James that is the the co-host of this show is also now a quarterback on the Gators United AFFL flag football team uh, with Danny Warfel, which is a ton of fun. And Danny's been a great guy. All those guys have been great guys, really just first class kind of stuff. And so I'm sure you'll be hearing more about that as as time goes on. But we're coming off a big weekend, pretty excited about the win. And Alan only knows about this because he sends me a Facebook message from Russia about six or seven days in, and it's like, hey – uh, what is up with like you and Danny Warfel? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, is this true? <laughs> and I had kind of been playing it coy with Alan. Alan's a big Danny fan, and we're playing it coy with Alan. And Alan really hasn't gotten filled in at all. So it's the first time he's even heard that Cliff Notes version of the story. Uh, but it's been it's been phenomenal. And so you know, that's my life right now is like life of I guess a professional flag football player for a hot minute. I don't take myself too seriously. Mainly, I'm just having a lot of fun hanging out with the guys and kind of you know crossing over between the two games
3: that's that's so cool I, I wish you could see me I have such a big grin on my face listening to you talk about uh hanging out with Danny Werfel who is you know childhood idol of mine um it sounds like such a fun time um super stoked that you get to do that um yeah coolest moment of the tournament playing with these guys would you kind of glean from them about what their thoughts about football or anything
2: Uh, you know, the coolest moment was I was one of the few guys that played both ways. So I played middle linebacker and quarterback. So I was on the field for every, every snap of the whole game, really on both sides. And, uh, there's something really fun about being on defense, uh, when I'm playing middle and I've got, I've got major Wright, Ahmad Black, Moses Jenkins, and, and Wandi was a little hurt. So Wandi wasn't out there, but I've got Frankie Hammond playing corner. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm out there calling the defenses with these guys and you're thinking this is this is a pretty good time. <laughs> I'm orchestrating and coordinating a uh, defense with guys who, uh, you know, all won national championships and obviously have had a lot of success. And there's something just tremendously fun about that. Uh, so that, that was a moment. I think my parents got a big kick out of me throwing a fourth down touchdown pass on a corner route to Chris Doring in the back of the end zone, which a lot of people have fun with. Cause that's obviously a, you know, Chris Doring. I think is a part of lore for any of the older Gators, you know, the, the famous call from Danny to him, but but uh, you yeah, know, really, definitely. really, really, you know, Alan, the best moments have been just the guys themselves. I always love the team environment. and These guys have been so much fun. Travis McGriff is hurt, and so he can't play right now. He's getting better, and so he's out there, and just everyone's cheerleading each other along. Uh, really, just you know, kind of one unit, one mind out there. Uh, just a just a really, really good time. These guys have big hearts. They're great with the kids that are around. Um, they're really good ambassadors for the program. Florida's been really supportive of this journey so far. And it's just been a lot of fun. Very cool opportunity, tons of fun. And then uh, for you guys in the show, I think you'll appreciate this story. Alan, I think you really like it. But early on when Danny's calling me, he says, Hey, you know, someone told me that you're the podcast guy. And I said, Oh, I'm the podcast guy. Yeah, I've got a podcast. He goes, Yeah, I've heard that your podcast is like really good. It's it's one of the best ones. Like, it's just fantastic. And I was like, Oh, that's that's awesome. And so I thought, Wow, life has really come full circle that, that Danny Werfel is actually saying, Hey, I've heard you're the podcast guy. So so listeners of the show, Danny <laughs> Werfel is very aware of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. And one of the few things he said after that was that, yeah, I heard your podcast like actually breaks down the football theory. <laughs> and so for the listeners that have been with us from the beginning, kind of a fun moment when all these uh these dots sort of coincide and and go through. And even including this weekend, some That's of the guys awesome. some of the guys that run the AFFL football league and a few other guys that are co founders of the league were talking about this very podcast, and uh, they asked they asked quite a few questions about it, and they listened to it, and so you know it's 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 really cool. I mean, the podcast was started because Alan and I wanted to have fun with it. Flag football started because we have fun with it. So I think in life, when you get these opportunities, it's fun to share them with others. Uh, but that's the story. The story will continue. Hopefully, we'll go all the way on in July, and I'll have plenty of more stories. But if in the event we lose, uh, you know, it will be something that I think hopefully will cement to you listeners out there that even though you may disagree with me sometimes, right? Because clearly I'm definitely wrong plenty of times. At least you know that it's good hearted and it comes from a spot (laughs) of actual uh, football theory. So, so that's my, my flag football story uh, so far. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Yeah. And more and more to come. And like I said, I think the coolest thing is a lot of these guys are really, really fun guys to be around. And so, you know, if you've been a fan of them or you've watched them play, uh, I can assure you if you met them in person, they'd be very gracious, friendly guys, which is which is cool. That's what being a Gator is all about.
3: Well, with that, let's go ahead and close up this episode. We'll be back with you guys sometime in May. We're going to do at least a little bit of a mailbag episode. So go ahead and send us any questions you want to have us discuss. Give us your feedback on how you're feeling about the Gator program in general. As James said, we'd love to hear from that. And guys, thanks again. Thanks to our patrons. And we'll see you guys soon.
1: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.